Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the GovCon world, this podcast is for you. The topic today is micro-purchases. You'll hear throughout the episode, we talk about the threshold being $3,500. By the time you're listening to this, it may have already increased to $10,000. The concepts are the same. The dollar value where it kicks in changes over time. It generally gets increased with inflation. So that's a good thing. As usual, this episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition and the Skyway community. Check it out at skywaymember.com. And let's get this one started. Hey, Kevin, today we're talking about micro purchases. I, I was talking to one of our, our listeners and he asked why we only cover the big dollar stuff, the large contracts. And while we provide new training and consulting on both large contracts and small ones, I realized that a lot of our podcast episodes focus on the big stuff. You know, we talk about systems and aircraft and, and seven-figure service contracts and the multi-million dollar stuff. Right. That, and, that's where that's where we came from, from a large part. So it make, makes sense that we tend to default to those kind of conversations. And, and that's where most of our, our work is, right? Yeah. But we haven't really covered the smaller transactions as, as much or, or, or at all, I guess, um, on podcasts. And, and it's funny, I look through the, our long list of podcast topics, and sure enough, <laughs> we didn't have any micro-purchase or purchase order or GPC card stuff on the list. So it's, uh, you know, it's time to kind of get small. Before we get small, let's stop and say thanks. Let's say thanks this week to Jason Lawson. Uh, Jason is a supervisory contracting officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs, i.e. You know, the VA, in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, he's been a contracting officer with the VA for more than eight years, and he's an active podcast listener. And I want to thank Jason for liking and sharing our podcast episodes on LinkedIn, because the best way for people to find this information that we're giving away for free <laughs> is for people like Jason to share our podcast with their network. Thanks, Jason. Man, I, I miss Ohio pizza, good old Dayton pizza. That's one thing that you can't get in Northern Virginia, where I've lived for quite a long time now, is, is good old Dayton pizza, like like Marion's or Cassano's or, or Giovanni's in Fairborn was always my favorite. And, and Jason, it's a small world because that's where Paul and I met when we both worked at Wright-Patterson. We were Copper Caps a, a while ago. <laughs> Way we back when. Yeah, I grew up in that area. All right, back to the podcast. We're talking micro purchases today. And while pizzas qualify for micro purchases, I don't think that's what the point of this episode is. <laughs> now it's on my mind though. The FAR is filled with references that say at or below the micro purchase threshold. And you got to know what that means. There's three basic thresholds for acquisitions in the FAR. Up to $3,500 is the micro purchase threshold. Between $3,500 and $150,000 is simplified acquisition procedures apply. And at $150,000 and up, that's where formal acquisition planning starts. That's where we spend most of our time is on the $150,000 and up purchases. Okay, so in this episode, we're just going to cover on the micro purchase, the stuff below $3,500. And that $3,500 threshold, that's the current threshold. And these are adjusted for inflation every few years. Yeah. All, all the thresholds, the micro, the simplified acquisition procedures, all those go up over time. All right, let's jump into the FAR. I mentioned that at or below the micro purchase threshold appears in many places. FAR Part 13 has a lot of those places. 13201, titled General. This, this, is, this, is, this <laughs> describes what's going on here. It says agency heads are encouraged to delegate micro purchase authority 
to individuals who are employees of an executive agency or members of the armed forces who will be using supplies and services being purchased. It's interesting because usually contracting officers have the authority to purchase and are the only ones with the authority to purchase. This says micro-purchase authority should be given to the users. And those users, they, they have to be appointed in writing and they have to be government employees or active duty military. In other words, they can't be contractors. Fargo's on to say the government-wide commercial purchase card shall be the preferred method to purchase and pay for micro-purchases. So anything under $3,500, they want you to use the card. And you can use this card. <laughs> these, these, these card holders, provided the purchaser, person with the card, is authorized and trained pursuant to agency procedures to actually use the card. And so each agency may have their separate procedures on how the card is used, but moral of the story is it's going to be internal people buying stuff that's worth less than 3500 bucks. I haven't been calling out the subparagraphs, but we're on subparagraph D now. It says, micro-purchases do not require provisions or clauses except as provided in... There's a couple cases where there's clauses. But in general, you can use the government-wide purchase card just like you would use a personal card. You show up and you hand them the card or swipe it or tap it, and the purchase is complete, or you can use it online. We talked about how the thresholds increase for inflation. They also increase for contingency and emergency operations, and we have a separate episode, episode 283, about contingency buying. When authorized for contingency and emergency operations, the micro-purchase threshold jumps up to $20,000 for United States-based purchases and $30,000 for purchases outside the United States, OCONUS purchases. All right, enough of the FAR. How does this work? We already mentioned who gets a card. You have to be a government employee. They call it the government-wide commercial purchase card. It's often referred to as the government credit card, but really it operates like a debit card because you're spending money you actually the government actually has, right? Right. It can, it can be used for micro-purchases, which we were talking about here. Also can be used for task or delivery orders, Payments, basically, if authorized on a basic contract, a basic order agreement, blanket purchase agreement, etc., or to even make payments when the contractor agrees to accept payment by card. Those are two rabbit trails we're not going to go down. Right. <laughs> we're going to focus on the micro-purchase, but understand that there's a difference between the government-wide commercial purchase card and a micro-purchase. They're not the same thing. Yeah. It's important to recognize that most of the rules that we usually talk about here on the podcast don't apply to micro-purchases. You know, th- things like the RFP and the debriefing and protests and all that stuff. Even the rules around competition don't really apply here. If you've listened to the podcast, you may have questions like, hey, if I have a government credit card, I'm going to use that term even though we already said it's wrong. If I have a government <laughs> credit card, do I have to run a competition between vendors? Do I have to get formal bids Do I have to document a bunch of competitive quotes and and pricing and justify fair and reasonable? The answer is, no, you really don't. And this jumps back to the FAR. FAR 13.203 is purchase guidelines. And it spells this out for you. To the extent practicable, micro-purchases shall be distributed equitably among qualified suppliers. Hmm, what's that mean to you? Well, you shouldn't always shop at Home Depot. Maybe you should go to Lowe's too. Or or to your local hardware store. Even better. Or to Amazon if you don't want to leave the office. 
Exactly. Or, or walk outside the base and find the smallest store that, that is right there that sells what you need. Yeah. To the extent practicable, I think from a time perspective, whatever's closest to you is probably the most practicable place to buy something. Otherwise, you're spending more time and money driving somewhere else. Okay. Next, it says micro purchases may be awarded without soliciting competitive quotations if the contracting officer or, or individual appointed to hold a government credit card considers the price to be reasonable. So in other words, you walk into the hardware store and there are, it's a commercial hardware store anybody can walk into and there are five things you, that you need to buy and all of them are considered reasonable because that's a retail price. You generally know what you're buying should cost. Move on. <laughs> you don't have to ask for quotes from five different hardware stores. And you don't have to document it. Correct. 13203A3 now says the administrative cost of verifying the reasonableness of the price for purchases may more than offset potential savings from detecting instances of overpricing. Detecting instances of overpricing. That, that's just a far way of saying it. Right. So if you need to buy a hammer and you spend four hours researching the pricing of hammers, you've probably spent a lot more than the cost of a hammer to start with. That's what they're trying to say. So be smart about it. Back to specific FAR language, it says, therefore, action to verify price reasonableness need only be taken if the person with the card suspects or has information to indicate that the price may not be reasonable through comparison to previous prices paid or personal knowledge, right? You know how much about how much a hammer should cost. If you go to buy a hammer and they say that'll be $400. And you buy it, then you have to justify it. <laughs> Why you paid $400 for a hammer. Right. Then you have to verify. I, I paused there. It's funny that you jumped in. I was thinking of $400 hammer jokes. That's a different, different, <laughs> pod, so different podcast. But yeah, if you're going to buy something that doesn't seem reasonable, if you suspect that it might not be reasonable, then you need to document, document it. Then you need to document it. <laughs> The only other reason that you would have to verify price reasonableness is if you're purchasing something where there's no comparable pricing information readily available. So that means it's it's not the same as or similar to anything else that you've you've bought on a competitive basis. In most cases, what this is saying is you can go to the store, you can go online, and there is open competition for retail pricing. You can buy it and you don't have to document or justify anything. Hey, it's the commercial market. Reminder, we're not just talking about hammers. The government-wide purchase card can be used for any micro purchase and all this competition and price reasonableness stuff applies to all of that. It's not just simple things like going to the hardware store. Yeah, it can be small services. It can be lots of different products that the office needs. Basically, it's as determined by the cardholder, we need this and can buy it with appropriated funds. I talked about how clauses don't really apply here. There's not a lot of clauses or rules and regulations. There is one unique feature, and that's in FAR 13.202, unenforceability of unauthorized obligations in micropurchases. This is an interesting one. This is about the fine print, sort of. A lot of things that, that you might buy with a purchase card come with a supplier license agreement, and that's particularly common in information technology. In IT purchases, if you buy computer software and services, a lot of times it comes with a license agreement, sometimes called an end user license agreement or terms of service or something like that. A lot of those agreements that are in the, the buried in the fine print, 
<laughs> there's indemnification clauses that are inconsistent with federal laws and, and not enforceable here. This is kind of a good to be king clause. This isn't actually in the agreement when you use the card, but it's considered to be in the agreement because you accepted payment from the federal government through the card or through the micro purchase process. One of the reasons that these are inconsistent with federal law is the Anti-Deficiency Act, which we've covered in other episodes talking about the purpose, time, and amount of federal funds. Well, the language within that, within that what, you, what you call it, the fine print, may not match the purpose, time, and amount rules that are unique to the federal government. And so it could make an Anti-Deficiency Act violation. To avoid that, they have this clause. Yeah, we won't get into the details there because there are a lot of different situations. The point is, let it be known that if you're a vendor who accepts a purchase via a government purchase card, that your terms and service may not all be upheld. Is that the right word? Yeah, and, and to be fair, it's a it's a small purchase. This is, this is a this, we're call, we're talking a couple thousand or even a couple hundred dollars. All right, I already dropped one reason why this is important, and that's that's because. The rules that we're used to talking about and the rules that people are used to with government acquisitions don't really apply here. You mentioned requests for proposals and debriefings and protests and all those things, right? Lowe's can't protest that you bought a hammer at Home Depot. It's not the way it works. <laughs> Despite the fact that we spend most of our time talking about larger purchases and the complexities of the government acquisition process, that is the minority of contracts actually awarded. There may be more dollars awarded against these larger competitions, the big source selections, far part 15 kind of things, but there are many more transactions accomplished on a daily basis with, with government purchase cards it might, under the micro-purchase threshold than there will ever be large competitions. Despite the fact that, that many of these rules don't apply, the acquisition time zones still do. Yeah, we, we always say that they really apply to everything that you buy. You don't really think about them even in your personal life. But if you're going to, if you decide you need a hammer, if there's a nail that needs to be uh, thrust through a piece of wood <laughs> and you don't want to use your shoe, <laughs> you the requirement zone is, I have a requirement. I need something to drive this nail. Ah, a hammer. That's You've decided you have a requirement for a hammer at that point. Market research zone. Where do I buy a hammer? Well, there's a hardware store right down the street. There's big box stores. Oh, I could go online and get one delivered. That's the market research part, right? Where am I going to buy it? The RFP zone, that's where marketing comes into play, right? Yeah, you're not actually getting a quote. You're just looking at prices and picking one. Right, but the offers are essentially bidding by having a store and having a display with the options for you or having a website with the options for you. Source selection zone is, hey, that one is the right size, and that seems to be a fair price compared to all the other ones I'm looking at right here. I'm going to buy that one. So this this is pretty much how you buy things in your personal life. This is the way it works. And you could fly through those four zones, well, literally in 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Micro purchaser. Uh, the, the one that I want to foot stomp is you still got to have a defined requirement. What are we buying? That concept of what are we actually buying drives the other three, even at the micro-purchase threshold. Yeah. Because otherwise you end up buying the wrong thing, doesn't solve the problem. And so, yeah, that that the value of these zones applies everywhere. And just like in the big dollar ones, you got to know what you're buying. What is the actual requirement? Yeah, it, it shouldn't be like window shopping or impulse purchases. You don't go to Home Depot to get a hammer and walk out with a table saw. <laughs> 
correct. Okay, specifically on the government side, why does the government care? Why is this important for government people? It's fast. It's, it's efficient. Uh, there's very little paperwork as long as you have a fair and reasonable price. And honestly, there's not a whole lot of oversight, right? And it's open market competition. So what's not to like? Well, the inflation pushes up against a limit on this. Um, it used to be 2,000-ish. It was last, right? And then it was 3,000. Now it's 3,500. And I think it's supposed to be, okay, no, it's eventually moving toward $10,000 for this micro-purchase threshold. But the idea is that you're able to move faster, but sometimes when that threshold is small, you still have to move up to the, to the simplified acquisition procedures when you get over that 3,500. Right. If they haven't adjusted the threshold for inflation lately, it may become more difficult to buy some of the basic things that you've usually purchased with your government credit card under the micro-purchase threshold. Another downside is that, well, people are people, and it's still government acquisition after all. There's no personal use allowed for your government purchase card, but it still happens. It ends up on the news. There are instances... And I've, I've, I've seen this happen. There are instances where people have paid for vacations or bought jewelry, like an engagement ring, <laughs> or, or a car even with their government purchase card. That's not good. What, what that leads to is administrative oversight requirements that sometimes get governmenty, which means that punish the innocent rather than than just the guilty. And it, it's very common in large bureaucracies. I'm not trying to say this is a unique thing. In large bureaucracies, sometimes it seems easier to create rules and regulations to try to prevent people from doing bad things than to just punish the, the folks that do them and let everyone else go about their lives without a lot of rules and regulations. That's another thing we shouldn't get me on a soapbox about today. The bulk of the FAR is written because of stuff like that. <laughs> exactly. They made a rule because somebody was trying to play the game. Right. Somebody did something wrong. Now we need a rule to stop people from doing that in the future. This is why cardholders are appointed in writing. To get a card, you generally have to sign some paperwork that says you understand all these rules. And in my experience, there was mandatory training that you had to take before you were given the card. And then like annual refresher training, just so that if you did something wrong, they could say... You knew the rules. You took the training. You signed that you understood the rules. Plus, there's also a person whose job it is to double check everything that you're purchasing. Didn't you have that job for a while? Oh, geez. Yeah, I've told you that story before. That's the new guy thing. You walk into a, a new office and they go, congratulations, you're the government credit card administrator. Oh, boy. Wait, I, I was I was just over there buying like Air Force Two and big airplanes and stuff. I, uh, I got rid of that as soon as there was the next new guy. I think it was actually a new, new girl, but but she, she got the uh, card administrator duties pretty quickly. From the industry perspective, it's important that you understand how your government customer buys. If you sell things at a value less than $3,500, then... This is somewhere that you should focus on selling to your government customer through micro-purchase. Yeah, remember that micro-purchase buys aren't published. They're, they're not on beta.sam.gov or soon-to-be-sam.gov's contract opportunities or what used to be FedBizOps, Federal Business Opportunities. Wow, it's getting, it takes forever to say that anymore. Anyway, they're not published. <laughs> I'm the same thing. <laughs> they're not published openly. It's open market buys, and the government is not required to share them openly or publicize them. As a result... Industry folks have to count a lot more on marketing and on relationships than they do in usual 
GovCon acquisitions. If the government doesn't know that you are a vendor that sells these hammers, they're never going to buy from you. They're going to buy it online or go to one of the big boxes, right? And we talk about the the 80-20 rule, the 80% process and 20% relationships. Well, in this case, it's like 99.5% relationships because the process is open market. Yeah, and the relationship could just be, I am used to going to Home Depot, not Lowe's. I keep mentioning those two. It, it seems to be the example of the day. But the relationship just might be, I prefer one or the other. Through the magic of, of consumer marketing, I prefer one or the other. But it, it's, it's still true. That relationship counts. It's why it's important to have, a. if you're a small business, have a relationship with a small business office in the base near you or, or, or the facility near you because that's a place that they're going to send people to you to buy stuff. If they don't know you exist, they ain't coming. Because for the government, it's easier. It's it's lower dollar. I mean, so therefore, it's lower risk, right? They're 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 able to make these transactions quickly. So government folks embrace these micro purchase thresholds. Look for small businesses that are in your local area that you can support because the transaction is going to be quick. On the industry side, these are different. I mean, the, the biggest difference is that they're just not published. Yeah. They're, they're, like you said, they're not going to be on beta.sam.gov. They may, they're not even going to be announced anywhere, probably. There, there's no report that says we, we spent $57,000 on pencils last year, whereas there is a report on how, many, how much they spent on professional services you know, in, in the million. I, I would say $0.57 cents on pencils in this case, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> they're, they're not going to be posted, right? So what this comes down to is you need to sell to get these dollars to get to get this revenue versus just bidding. It's not going to show up for you just to be able to bid on it. You have to be selling to get micro purchase sales. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about this being the commercial world and big vendors, but it really works. If you're a traditional government contractor and you have products or services that can be sold for less than $3,500, you can take advantage of this too. It's not just Home Depot and Lowe's. I swear that's the last time I'll say that today. <laughs> Okay, a better example is we, 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 you talked to uh, the Arbinger Institute folks a couple episodes ago, and they talked a lot about how they use the government credit card to start that initial relationship with their government customers. Right. So there's a great example of, of they sell a lot of commercial services. They sell a lot of, of training through their website and other means and through books and things like that, things that are less than 3500 They also have relationships that are bigger, but their entry point, which they talked about at length, was the government purchase card, the micro-purchase because it's easy, it's fast, it's efficient, and it's a great way to build a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Using it as an entry point. So it's not just about the big boxes that I won't mention again. All right. <laughs> Let's end this one. I'll talk to you later, Kevin. I'll see you, Paul. Okay, that's it for today. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out the Skyway community at skywaymember.com. The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, running, or growing a business in the GovCon world. We speak GovCon. Skyway members get access to our extensive tools and training, the Ask a Contracting Officer forum, and discounts on consulting support from our team of contracting officers. To learn more, call us at 877-884-5280 or check us out again, skywaymember.com. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.